Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. On this podcast, we help you structure your business processes to make your people your organization's greatest competitive advantage. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much any podcatcher of your choice. You can also subscribe at peopleprocesses.com, which will give you exclusive subscriber-only content. Here is your host, Rami Alajil, author and CEO of People Processes. We're going to be talking today about paying employees flat rate, a lot of times by hours budgeted rather than hours worked. Uh, there's a new case that said, sheds a lot of light on this flat rate pay idea. A group of mechanics employed at a South Carolina chain of tire and automobile repair stores were paid on a comp- under a compensation plan that contained two components. They received an amount determined by multiplying the particular mechanic's flat rate, an hourly pay rate assigned to each mechanic based on the mechanic's particular skills, experience, and certifications by the mechanic's um, uh, turned hours. So that rate times turned hours. Now, the turned hours were a pre-established amount of time designated by the employer for each mechanical tasks, for all tasks completed by the mechanic during the relevant pay period. Now, this compensation for turned hours did not account for the actual time spent working on a particular task or during the pay period overall. Instead, it was based exclusively on the number of tasks completed and the pre-assigned turned hours for such tasks, the same measure of turned hours used to form the mechanic's pay uh, for a particular task was also used as the basis for the labor cost charged to the customer for that task. Although the rates paid by the customer were greater than the mechanic's flat rates, of course. Now, This uh, is the key part of the compensation plan. The secondary part was what they called differential pay. When the amount of a mechanic's turned hours compensation earned over a given pay period was less than one and a half times the statutory minimum wage multiplied by the actual hours worked during the same period, uh, he or she also received a supplemental amount referred to as differential pay and was designed to ensure that the mechanics always earned at least one and a half times the statutory minimum wage for all actual hours worked. The differential pay rate was set at whatever amount was needed to render the mechanics total compensation, i.e. turned hours pay plus differential pay, equal to $11.02 per hour in the case of this place for all actual hours worked during that period. As a result, if a mechanic's turned hours fell below a certain percentage of their actual hours, he or she was compensated as though having earned a straightforward wage of $11.02 per hour. Straight wage, no overtime, right? There's a lawsuit involved here. The employee's uh, allegation is that the mechanics filed, so so this is how it kind of worked. The mechanics filed a class action suit, a uh, putative one, against the company, after which both sides filed motions for summary judgment seeking a ruling in their favor regarding whether the employer's method of compensation uh, is a bona fide commission plan under the FLSA, and if so, whether the plan was uh, exempted from the statute's overtime pay requirements. This is not a question of whether the employees were exempt or not. It's a question of whether the plan qualifies as a commission plan. 
The employers argued that the employee, the employees argued that the employer's commission was rather what rate was a sham. It did not meet the requirements to qualify for the Section 7-1 overtime exemption that the totality of the employer's conduct demonstrated a clear pattern of reckless disregard of the FLSA, and that the court should find that a three-year statute of limitations applied in denying companies, uh, the company's motion for summary judgment with respect to employees who had filed their written consents to be part of the class action be waived. Now, the employer responded that its commission rate was bona fide in accordance with the FLSA Section 7-1 overtime exemption requirements, and that the summary judgment was uh, warranted against all employees who had failed to file written, uh, who had not failed to file written consents to become part of the class action within two years, because those individuals could not meet the burden of establishing a willful violation. In addition, the employer argued that the court should grant summary judgment in its favor during the weeks for which the employees had stipulated that they could assert no claim. So, the employer argued that because the employees stipulated that they could assert no claim for overtime compensation under the FLSA for certain weeks, summary judgment should be granted for those claims during those weeks. Because the employees did not contest that argument, the court basically granted summary judgment on that, favoring the employer for the weeks that the employees had stipulated no claim for overtime compensation could be made. So they got a contract saying, we agree this is commission, and uh, this time they won't make any claims. So they granted that part, but other parts they questioned. So here's a little background. Uh, the FLSA provides two potential limitation periods for these sorts of claims. A two-year statute of limitations applies for non-willful violations, but a three-year statute applies when the violation is willful. Employees themselves who bring the suit bear the burden of proof when alleging that a violation is willful. In the case um, <clears throat> at, at bar, the case in, 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 in court right now, the employees conceded that the company's failure to consult, or, or, or uh, uh, the employees alleged that the company's failure to consult with a lawyer with respect to its compensation plan um, would was part of their reasoning for this. But they agreed that that not alone, that, that, that just because he didn't consult with a attorney, uh, did not consult a willful violation. Rather, they contended that combined with its other conduct, the company's failure to have consulted with an employment lawyer or with the Department of Labor itself when it implemented the at-issue compensation plan was sufficient to establish a willful violation. That's what the employee said. The court found that the employees provided no evidence, though, that the employer was on notice that its compensation plan was in violation, uh, noting the company's uh, corporate counsel had worked with the DOL during the investigation of the plan. So not an employment lawyer, but their general counsel did. Uh, and they actually had a DOL audit, and that was a big deal, and the DOL audit revealed no statutory violations. Consequently, the court granted the employer's motion of summary judgment with respect to all employees who had failed to file written consents within the two-year limitation provided on the statute. So basically they said two years is all we're going to look at. Okay, so what is the exemption? The FLSA Section one, uh, Section 7-1 overtime exemption applies to employees working for a retail or service establishment when his or her regular rate of pay exceeds 1.5 times the minimum wage for every hour worked in a work week in which any overtime hours uh, are worked, and two, more than half of the employee's total earnings in a representative period consist of commissions on goods or services. Neither the statute nor the DOL regulations provide a definition of the term commission as it is used within uh, in the retail or service exemption. 
noting that several courts have held that turned hours pay compensation plans utilized by the employer uh, in, in this case constitutes a bona fide commission rate for the purposes. The court nevertheless characterized the compensation plan not as a commission plan, but as a hybrid plan. Because at times the employer utilized a straight commission without advances compensation method that is a bona fide commission plan, and at other times it used the straight hourly rate, that differential pay, right? And because they did that differential pay, uh, the compensation method, that was not a bona fide commission rate, obviously. It's an hourly rate with no overtime. So, however, they did find that the commission rate as a whole, it passed the quote smell test is how the court determined it, reiterating that the employer's corporate counsel had worked with the DOL during an investigation of its compensation plan and that an audit had revealed no violations of the FLSA. Furthermore, only four of the remaining uh, class members never had exceeded the guaranteed rate or only had exceeded the guaranteed rate one time, and each had received a non-fixed amount of pay for each work week. So this was a key determining factor. Of all the people suing, it was like 30, only four of them uh, never exceeded that, got, you know, had to have differential pay every pay, uh, uh, even, even one time, right? So almost all of the people suing um, always got turned rate, which was in excess of the one and a half times. For four people, either one time or uh, never had they gotten um, the turned rate. They always wound up with differential pay. The company's most efficient mechanics over the last five years had earned between $118,000 and $286,000 per year under the pay plan, with mechanics across the plan averaging an average rate of $17.26. That demonstrated that the plan was aligned with the purposes of the FLSA, the court said, finding that it was sufficient to enable the conclusion that the company had set its commission rate in good faith, but that it did not mean that the commission rate was always a bona fide rate. Looking to case president, uh, instructing that if an employee exceeds the guaranteed rate guarantee in wages more than 10% of the time, he or she, that's the, something that they come up with in the past, 10%. You need to, uh, if you're doing one of these plans, they need to always be making commission, the, the commission rate more than the differential rate at least 10% of the time. He or she has a wage uh, that exceeds the amount of the draw guaranteed rate more often than seldom for the purposes of being a bona fide plan. The court found that 22 of the remaining class members exceeded the guaranteed rate more than 10% of the time, had a non-fixed amount of pay each week, and had been paid hours under a compensation plan that would increase their pay if jobs were completed more efficiently. Under the fair, labor, under the fair reading set, set uh, by establishment and relevant pre precedent, the employer utilized a bona fide commission rate for those employees as a matter of law. They, they summary judgment. 22 of the employees had commissions representing more than 50% of their wages. So that was easy summary judgment in favor of the employer. However, four of the remaining employees never exceeded the guarantee or only exceeded the guarantee one time. For those employees, the compensation plan did not utilize a bona fide commission rate as a matter of law, the court instructed adding that there were five remaining employees who only exceeded the guaranteed rate between 6% to 10% of the time. So all in all, that's 10 total under 10%. Because the questions of how employees spent their working hours was a question of fact, and there was a genuine dispute over those facts, summary judgment favoring those plaintiffs was inappropriate, the court advised. Accordingly, the court granted in part and denied in part both the employers and the employees' motions for summary judgment. Uh, by the way, this is uh, Gordon versus TBC Retail Group uh, Incorporated, also called Tire Kingdom, if you ever want to look up the case. 
Tire Kingdom's compensation scheme therefore nets mixed results. Neither the entire class of mechanics employed by the South Carolina auto repair operator nor the employer was entitled to a ruling that the company's dual component flat rate plus differential pay compensation plan violated the FLSA's overtime pay. The federal court in the state uh, came to that determination, granting in part and denying each part's notions for summary judgment. So now the case is going to go on to actual trial to determine the matters of fact. The key here is that this plan passed almost all the requirements, and most of the individual claimants' claims were dismissed in summary judgment. Where there are still questions is, is on those employees who rarely made more than the guaranteed rate or the draw. If you have a situation like this and an employee is not exceeding their draw, you cannot just let it continue if you're just going to pay them a flat hourly rate. The employers, uh, the employees allege that they, that they did other things that didn't generate the turned hours, and that's why they didn't exceed the guaranteed rate. Those other things, those administrative duties, may or may not be why they didn't exceed the guaranteed rate. That becomes a statement of fact, and that becomes something the trial has to determine. If you run a shop like this, and lots of businesses have similar cases, say car salesmen or machine workers, you must keep a close eye. You need to design the comp plan so that people can exceed the guarantee or you're going to run into trouble with overtime requirements. If you have employees that don't exceed the minimum, you got to terminate them or transfer them to a different job with a correct classification and a different plan. Don't just let out of your 30 employees, five of them consistently not make their quota, not make enough so that the commission plan kicks in. If you continue to pay them a, uh, uh, the hourly rate, the minimum guaranteed hourly rate, you will get in trouble. And that's what's going on here. Most of their employees, fine, would have been summary judgment for the plaintiff. They crossed their eyes, they dotted their T's. But they let employees stick around for a long time, not making enough turned hours to make more than the guaranteed rate. And effectively, for those employees, they were making $11.02 an hour, flat, even when they worked 60 hours. They never got overtime. So the fact that their plan passed was great, that it affected most employees, great, but that some employees wound up getting paid $11.02 an hour flat for weeks and months on end, man, that'll get you in trouble. So look at your piecework plans. Look at your uh, flat rate plans, these sorts of things where you get paid for jobs done or a certain amount for each job. Uh, I think about a recruiter that's, uh, uh, that we've worked with in the past. The recruiter pays a certain amount um, when a job is completed, right? Based on the complexity of the job. Very similar to this. They're like, this kind of job, you know, you're going to get 600 bucks. The 600 bucks is based on the fact that we expect you're making $30 an hour. It's going to take you 20 bucks an hour. If you do it faster, great. You get to keep it. If it takes you longer, okay, well, it's on you. They have a guaranteed rate too so that they don't fall under minimum wage, but if they wind up doing that too often and they run into overtime issues, they'll get in a lot of trouble. So think about your plans too. If you run into this, uh, you need to take a look at it. You need to make sure that employees who are not making more, you terminate or you move to another kind of compensation plan where they qualify for overtime. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at People Processes. Go to peopleprocesses.com, subscribe, and get some of our subscriber-only content. And if you got something out of this, make sure you share it with anyone you know. Thank you for tuning in. Now it's time for you to go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.